Well, good morning again. As always, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to proclaim God's Word to you. And I'm especially excited this morning because we are beginning a new series preaching through the Gospel according to Matthew. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you turn in it to the Gospel of Matthew? It's the first book in the New Testament. The Old Testament ends with the prophet Malachi. And if you turn the page from there, you will find the title, The Gospel According to Matthew. Now, many of you know that the Gospel of Matthew is one of four Gospel accounts, along with Mark, Luke, and John. And we call them Gospels because Gospel means good news. These books tell us the good news about Jesus. And in many ways, these four books are the very center of the Bible. The Old Testament tells us about the beginning of the world and the story of humanity rebelling against God. And then God responding by promising that He would save His people from the power and the curse of sin. We see it right from the beginning. In Genesis 3, in the midst of God's curse on the serpent, Satan... He makes a promise of the good news. God says to Satan, I will put enmity or war between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God promises to send someone to crush the serpent's head, to crush the problem of sin and our great enemy, Satan. And this promise drives forward the entire story of the Old Testament. And so, pieces in this story go up and down. More promises are made. More clarity comes about what God will do. But as we've been looking at in our Christian education class, looking at the prophet Hosea, God's people are actually driven into exile from the land that God gave to them. Away from their land, their kings continually fail, and their temple is destroyed. After many years, some of them come back into the land, but it is a shadow of the promises that God has made to His people. And so as one scholar says, the Old Testament is a story in search of an ending. We believe that Jesus Christ The subject of the four Gospels is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. He is the seed that crushes the serpent's head. He is the true king who will sit forever on the throne of David. He himself is the temple where the fullness of God dwells, and where we go to truly worship God. Jesus is the Lamb who will pay for the sins of His people. He is the end-time judge who will put right every wrong that has been done. He's the perfect lawgiver who doesn't just reveal God's law of life to us, but He writes it on our hearts and fills us with His Holy Spirit so that we might actually obey it. He is the true prophet who doesn't just tell us what God is like, but he himself is God. And so all that he does and teaches reveals the Father to us. The Old Testament story, this story that leaves so many loose endings that are searching for a conclusion, finds its fulfillment 
in the Gospels. So the Gospels stand at the end of the Old Testament. But the Gospels also stand at the beginning of the New Testament. Acts comes immediately afterward and tells about how Jesus continues to work through His church and extend His kingdom to the ends of the earth. But then all of the 22 books that follow are there to interpret for us what Jesus has done in the Gospels. They look back on these four Gospels and tell us what exactly Jesus accomplished and what He is still doing and what He is going to do and how we should live in light of those things. None of the Bible makes sense without the Gospels. None of it makes sense without the birth, life, teaching, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so the Gospels contain the central truth of the whole Bible. For that reason, we are going to take a close look and take our time preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. A couple of weeks ago, I told Matt Alexander that we were about to start this series in Matthew, and I told him that his son, James, who's four years old, would probably be in middle school by the time we finished it. That's an exaggeration. We are not going to be in Matthew until James is in middle school. But we are going to take our time. It's a long book. It's 28 chapters. It's over a 1,000 verses. And if this is really the center of our faith, then we don't just want to skim through it as fast as possible. In an age of tweets and Instagram posts and short articles and hot takes, God calls us to meditate upon His Word. We want to actually learn about Jesus and who He is and what He has done and what that means for you and for me. And that's going to take some time. That's also going to be dependent on the engagement of each of us in here. We talked about this as we began our series on 1 Peter, that we wanted to read through 1 Peter on our own as many times as possible as we were going through the series. Well, Matthew is not 1 Peter. You can't listen through Matthew on your commute one day to work. To read through the Gospel of Matthew would take about two and a half hours for the average reader. But like all learning, you are going to grasp more and be affected more by the message of this book if you are also reading it on your own. That's especially true with the text of the sermon each week. So in high school, math came pretty easily to me. I would show up, I would listen to the lesson, and then I would show up and take the test. When I got to college and walked into my first math class, I realized that math was not going to come so easily to me anymore. And it took about a month for me to realize that one way to help is if you read the textbook before you show up for class. If you read the chapter before you show up for class, you actually have questions that you are looking to get answered in the lecture. You actually have categories and ideas to work with as the professor is teaching you. And if that is true with math, how much more is that true with the Word of God, which we believe is living and active. It is God's revelation of Himself to us. So I want to encourage you, 
We will always have next week's sermon text written in the bulletin. It's on the announcements page at the bottom where it says upcoming sermon schedule. And it will always be at the top of the e-news every week when you get that email. Read through that passage during the week in your devotions or listen to it on your commute to work or to school. As we've been saying in our sending all summer, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not just so that we can fill our heads with knowledge, but so that we can be changed and humbled and made to see Jesus more clearly. So in that vein, we're going to take a look at the gospel according to Matthew today. Next week we'll be in that first section, the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. But this week we're going to look at an overview of Matthew and we're going to try to understand some of the themes and some of the storylines that are going through this gospel so that we can prepare our hearts and minds to hear from it. So we're going to read the very first verse of the book and the last five verses of the book. And in between those, we're going to read a big chunk of chapter 16, which I think gets us to the very heart of this gospel. But before we do that, would you pray with me and ask God that He would help us? Heavenly Father, as we read Your Holy Word, I ask that you would give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know and love your Son, Jesus Christ, more. Open our minds, our hearts, and our wills so that we may hear your word and believe it. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your people are listening. Amen. We'll begin with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Chapter 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven." And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now down to chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot going on in the Gospel of Matthew. Dozens of themes and purposes that we will see over the course of the next 28 chapters. But this morning, I want us to especially see three things that God is showing us in this Gospel. First, I want you to see that the Gospel of Matthew is primarily about Jesus who He is, and what He has come to do. Secondly, I want you to see that that message about who Jesus is and what He has come to do demands a response from you. And then thirdly, we're going to see that an aspect of that response to the message of Jesus is not just for you, but Jesus commands you to tell and teach this message to other people especially the people who you might not think it is for. So those are the three things we're going to see from this gospel today. First, the gospel of Matthew is primarily about Jesus. And I hope you hear that and you aren't surprised. I hope you realize how silly it would be to read and preach through this whole book and never really grapple with who Jesus is. But it is surprisingly easy to miss the forest for the trees. It is easy to talk about the Pharisees and the law and quoting the Old Testament and how parables work and the personalities of the disciples. All really great things to talk about. But we can easily get caught up in all those things and not realize that we have missed the main point of the story. Jesus. This book is about Jesus. This is why I wanted us to read the verses that we read for our scripture reading. The very first verse of the book begins here. Matthew starts by saying, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He starts by telling us what and who he is going to tell us about. This book is about Jesus. It begins with Jesus' family tree, and he begins by highlighting some of the most important titles of Jesus. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the Christ, which means the Messiah. These titles that are packed with meaning and significance from the Old Testament story, they tell us who Jesus is. In that first verse, Matthew begins with the identity of Jesus. Who is he? But Matthew doesn't leave that question behind after that first section. He comes back to it again and again and again throughout this book. 
The angel tells Joseph that Mary is pregnant. And when Joseph questions this, the angel says that which is conceived in her, that's Jesus, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then the wise men come from the east and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. Then John the Baptist shows up and starts telling people that someone greater than him is coming next. And when he baptizes Jesus, the heavens open up and God says, this is my beloved son. The disciples ask this same question when Jesus calms the storm on the sea. They say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? All of these are wrestling with this question, who is this man? The height of this questioning, or at least one height of this questioning, comes in chapter 16 that we just read. Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them who everyone else says that he is. What are the various theories out there about my identity? So they start throwing out all the options. But then Jesus brings the question to them, In verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and gives a full confession of Jesus' true identity. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus blesses him and says that it is the Father who has revealed this to Peter. Jesus is not just a good man. He is not just a thoughtful sage who dispels a lot of wisdom or a prophet who tells us truths about God. Jesus is God. He is the God of the Old Testament, the creator of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who saved Israel from Egypt. Jesus is that God. And He has come to earth as a human being. He is the Son of Mary. He's the one who gets thirsty and hungry. He gets tired and sleeps. He's the one who experiences human emotion, the one who bleeds and suffers pain and dies. To use the words of the early church council of Chalcedon, Jesus is at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood. Truly God and truly man. That is who he is. And notice, just by implication at this point, that this also affects our understanding of the identity of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, and He speaks about His Father who is in heaven, and the Holy Spirit, and we see the Holy Spirit descending on Him, and the Father saying things to Him, what does this mean about God? The book of Matthew ends by telling us not just the identity of Jesus. Notice that he is worshipped in chapter 28, verse 17. But also the identity of God. We are to be baptized, initiated into the church in the name of God. What is God's name? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew shows the shocking truth that our God is a triune God, one God in three persons. And this sometimes seems like trivia to us, but this is the very identity of God. 
This is a revolution in who it is that we worship and who we pray to and how we pray to Him. The God that we worship is the triune God. But we need to realize that this gospel is not just about who Jesus is, but also about what He has come to do. Those things are wrapped up in one another. When the angel says to Joseph that he should name his son Jesus, why does he tell him that? Why should he name him Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. In the section we just looked at in chapter 16, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then look at what Jesus says immediately afterwards in verse 21. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Why did Jesus come? He came to suffer and die and rise again from the dead. As he says in Matthew 20, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to do many things. He came for many reasons that we are going to see throughout this gospel. But the core reason that he tells us again and again and again why he came is that he came to die for our sins and rise again to new life. He is the king of the universe who becomes a crucified criminal. So this gospel is about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But the next point is that it is also very much about your response to those things. The gospel of Matthew is not simply a textbook about the doctrine of Christ or about our understanding of the Trinity, or even what Jesus accomplished in his death. This is not a bundle of information we read through like a Wikipedia page. It is gospel, good news. It is an announcement from Jesus and about Jesus. And it is an announcement that demands a response. So notice Jesus' question. It is not, who am I? His question is personal and confrontational. Who do you say that I am? Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we will see many different responses to Jesus. Those who are sick and hurting flock to him for healing. The crowds marvel at his teaching and his amazing deeds. Herod tries to kill him, and the wise men worship him. The Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who should be thrilled that the Messiah is finally here, hate him and seek to destroy him. The tax collectors and the sinners follow after him. Each time we see Jesus and see the responses of others to him in this gospel, we are being confronted with that very same question from Jesus. It's not a question left to the dusty book's of history. It's a question he asks every one of us in here today and every day. Who do you say that I am? As you behold the Son of God in this book, will you see your need of him and like the tax collectors and sinners, respond to him in humble faith? 
Or will you instead think of all the things you are losing if he becomes king, like Herod and the scribes and Pharisees, and so reject him? When he calls, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Will you cast yourself on him? Or will you hold back because you can carry your own burdens? When he says, whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will you try to hold on to your life and so lose it? Or will you freely give it to him and find eternal life in Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? Those of us who do trust in Jesus will likely find ourselves most like the disciples. Jesus' favorite phrase for the disciples seems to be, O you of little faith. They do trust in him. They believe that he is who he says he is. They drop everything and follow him. But their growth and their maturity in their faith is so slow. We see this epitomized in Peter's answer to Jesus in chapter 16. In verse 16, he responds to Jesus' question, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus praises him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But then what happens one second later? Jesus tells his disciple that the fact that he's the Messiah means he's going to suffer and die and rise again. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him for saying such things. To which Jesus responds by calling him Satan. This is the back and forth of the disciples, seeming to get it one minute, and then showing that they have no clue the next minute. Following Jesus, but stumbling along as they follow him. And this is you. If you are a Christian, we are the ones of little faith. But if you pay attention in this book, if you watch Jesus, Jesus patiently walks with the disciples in their ignorance and their pride and their moments of triumph and their moments of failure. He carefully teaches them and trains them, sometimes confronting them with hard truths and sometimes reminding them of God's love and care for them until the end of the book where he sends them out as ambassadors of his kingdom. This is what he does with us and what he will do with us in this book. He disciples us. He shows us who he is again and again. He reveals himself through his teaching and his actions and his miracles. And he patiently disciples us in the midst of our little faith. How will you respond To Jesus? Will you take his yoke of discipleship upon you, or will you seek your rest elsewhere? The call to discipleship is a call to a lot of things. Primarily, it's a call to come to Jesus, to follow him. It's a call to give your allegiance to King Jesus above everyone and everything else. It's also a call to follow his law from the heart as we will see in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a call to join Jesus in his suffering. It's a call to serve, not to be served. But one thing I want us to especially see today is that the call to discipleship is also a call to share the message of Jesus with others. 
Many books of the Bible have an introduction. Matthew does have an introduction with the genealogy. But in a lot of ways, the purpose of the book of Matthew is given in the very last passage. The one we read from Matthew 28. Look with me at it. We'll begin in verse 18. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. He comes to his disciples and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You are called to come to Jesus and follow Him as His disciples. But His purpose in that is that is his same purpose that he gave us at the beginning of creation, to be fruitful and multiply. We are called to share the message of the gospel with others, to make more disciples of Jesus, to be ambassadors for the king. In Matthew 28, we proclaim the message to all nations. The Messiah did not just come for those within the borders of Israel. He came for the nations. And throughout this gospel, we see the message of Jesus being particularly for those that we don't expect. It's the wise men from the east who worship Jesus, not Herod, the current king of the Jews. It's the fishermen and tax collectors who become his disciples, not the Pharisees. It's the sick and sinful who flock to him, and the rich young man walks away sad. As Jesus himself says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is calling you, a sinner, to come to him and to tell other sinners the good news of his coming, the good news of his life, death, and resurrection, the good news that he is king, that he has crushed the serpent's head and calls all people everywhere to come to Him. This is a message for the weak and the weary. It's a message for the outcasts and the sinners. In other words, it's a message to all those who need to find their rest in Jesus. The call that Jesus gives us when He calls us to be His disciples is the call that we are also to relay to others. Today, Jesus says to you, And to me and to all who will listen, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May we come to Jesus again and again throughout this gospel. Would you all pray with me? Father, we come to you and we come to you in the name of the resurrected Christ. We come knowing that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we ask you that you would strengthen us. That you would make us new. That you would pull back anything that distracts our vision from seeing Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would do that today. We pray that you would do that throughout our time of studying this gospel. For your glory and the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen.